Welcome to the first part of our new research radio special program. The series will focus on Dr. B. R. Ambedkar and his mission of achieving liberty, equality, and fraternity. I'm Abhishek, and for the next two months, every Wednesday, we learn about Dr. Ambedkar's thoughts and actions from scholars across disciplines, from history to literary studies and economics. Through this series, we hope to get closer to the multidisciplinary approach through which Dr. Ambedkar viewed Indian society. Most episodes will offer deep dives into his views on Marxism, Buddhism, Brahmanism, patriarchy, the Indian state, and his engagement with Periyar, Jyotirao Phule, and others. A handful of episodes will analyze work by scholars who have followed an Ambedkar-inspired approach in their scholarship. To start us off, Chinnay Jangam joins us. Dr. Jangam is an associate professor in the Department of History at Carleton University. His research focuses on the social and intellectual history of Dalits in modern South Asia. He's published several articles in EPW that employ innovative archival research methods and I recommend reading them. I've shared links to two that we discuss in the show notes. Also, do stick around till the end where we'll ask Dr. Jangam a series of rapid-fire questions, which is new for this season. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Jangam. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Abhishek, for inviting me. Jai Bhim to you and Jai Bhim to all the audiences who is, whoever is listening to this podcast. Yes, Jai Bhim. So, if we, can we start by unpacking what you identify as the biggest challenge in analyzing Dr. Ambedkar? So, you mentioned that uh, in one of your articles that Indian social science holds caste contempt and even quote scholars who subscribe to a revolutionary transformation in India, including Anand Tiltumde, use parameters of Marxism to assess Ambedkar instead of placing him in the anti-caste historical lineage, end quote. Could we pass this out? The way in which Dalit ideas and Dalit engagements and Dalit political articulations are always judged against the various other forms of politics, like particularly Marxism as a very important parameter. People say that, you know, uh, for example, emphasis on caste discrimination and caste-based exploitation ignores the economic aspect of exploitation and uh, economic liberation struggles. But the thing is that, you know, this is a gross misunderstanding of what Ambedkar articulated and how Ambedkar conceived emancipatory struggles. Because in understanding Ambedkar, one of the important things we have to understand is that, you know, he is a man of enlightenment. He was a product of uh, Western enlightenment. He is very well read in Western philosophy. And second thing is that, you know, he, is also, he was also rooted in anti-caste historical tradition. And that's what, like, you know, when we are trying to assess Ambedkar as a philosopher and intellectuals, one of the important ways to you know, to see is that to see him as this product of enlightenment, but very much rooted in the historical anti-caste traditions. So unless you look at this and see him as a person of his own stature and a philosopher who articulated a different kind of emancipatory struggle, we cannot understand Ambedkar well. Because, you know, if you try to judge him from the perspective of Marxism or perspective of liberalism or perspective of any sort of ideological tools, what we see is that, you know, we only will be able to grasp him partially, not as a full, you know, philosopher and intellectual who basically dare to question the dogmatism and also the person who even tried to reinterpret Buddhism to suit the needs of particularly emancipatory struggles. That's one of the reasons why the way he basically wrote Buddha and his Dharma, for example, goes against all conventional understanding of Buddhism. In fact, he had revolutionarily interpreted and tried to see emancipatory struggles which can combine both spiritual emancipation, social equality, and also economic liberation. So in this context, what I see is that you know, Ambedkar needs to be seen as this thinker of his own stature with his own ways of understanding the world. 
Mm-hmm. Can we actually go deeper into the example that you gave of um, his use of uh, Buddhism to understand, you know, how what is a more appropriate way of locating uh, Ambedkar? Ambedkar not only trained in Western Enlightenment, but also he was a scholar of multidisciplinary studies. You no, know, he was he was an economist. He was you know, a jurist trained in law, and he was also very deeply read in religious studies. And you know, like this way, what happens is that you know, as a, an intellectual and also as an ideologue. his way of understanding of world comes from this multiple readings of different disciplines and that's one of the reasons why his insights both intellectual and also historical insights are much more deeply you know entrenched in terms of the way he interpret even the siddharth the gautam or buddha the figure of gautam or buddha itself basically changes in the hands of ambedkar the way he looks at and the way he transforms this you know fundamental tenets of buddhism to suit the emancipatory struggles of the oppressed like dalits in india is very unique way of looking at for example if we want to really interconnect ambedkar's emancipatory interpretation of buddhism with other liberation theologies either in catholicism or even for that matter philosophers like you know tiknathan in vietnam one of the important thing is that you know the way they bring the pragmatic aspects of liberation and this world problems into the spiritual liberation struggles so that's why he sees individual and community are connected and you know you cannot have individual liberation unless you have a common emancipation as a community mm-hmm. and i liked how you brought in uh, his multidisciplinary background and and training um and as somebody who is interested in the social and intellectual history of dalits in south asia um you know i wanted to get a better understanding of what the archive looks for you, looks like for you and uh, you know how your training across different countries has influenced your research process yes sir thank you abhishek for asking this uh, very important question how does a dalit archive look one of the important things like even as a historian when i started my research one of the important challenges i faced that you know there were this conventional understanding that there are not many sources about dalits when i started my phd and uh, you know in england i remember the second day of my arrival in london at british library i went to this lady who does this uh, archives of south asia particularly south indian languages i went to her and asked her, ma'am i am working on dalits in india i would like to know what kind of sources are here and that lady you know looks at me and says do you mean schedule caste i said yes schedule caste she looked at me up and down and uh, are you also schedule caste i said yes then she said you know on my face that you know there are nothing is available in this library on schedule caste i remember you know i was like collapsed almost uh, like you know almost i didn't know how to react because that was the second day of my life in london and i came with lot of ambition to do phd in england and suddenly i come to the library and the librarian tells me that there is nothing to work on and i almost you know had a tears in my eyes and went back to my supervisor next day and uh, told him that you know this is what we, uh, his name is peter rob so i remember you know he looked at me and you know when i went to his office and he took me to coffee and uh, made me sit in the canteen and uh, i explained to him this is what my experience is and he said you know chinna you just came from all the way struggling so much from india to here and see that this is also one of the challenges who said there is nothing in the library because the entire british uh, library consists of all the colonial archives in india and colonial experience that means that you know there is a lot to explore and he told me you know just next 3 months you just go and look at the catalogs of the british library and particularly in south asia i remember 3 months i sat and looked at the catalogs and uh, then you know i made so much of you know bibliography on only concentrating on dalits particularly south india and telugu archives and i was very shocked so much is there in british library particularly starting from you know east india company onwards to till british left india 
you see that it's unbelievable archive exists but you know very little has been focused on then i went and showed it to my supervisor he said you know you can write 100 phds on this so like you know it's that that's kind of uh, you know um, you know material exists the problem is that you know one needs a perspective to look into it like you no know, that's what like you know even ann stoller historian and anthropologist at a new new school for social research she has this very interesting argument uh, and idea that you know reading against the grain and where you know by reading the dominant narratives the way in which they describe people below them and with contempt and condescending nature one can you know exactly read opposite way the politics of the oppressed and uh, the other way to look at archives like particularly in related to in relation to dalits is the whole idea of uh, caste histories like you know there is this old tradition both both oral and also social memory oral histories and oral traditions and also social memory as a very important uh, tradition in which you know folk tradition becomes very important part of dalit experience and very little has been worked on particularly the folk tales and folk narratives and oral traditions of the dalits and particularly in south india where i come from in telangana we have this tradition called satellite caste satellite castes are dependent castes within dalits there are this small communities who are dependent on the major the dominant dalit communities whose responsibility historically is to narrate the caste histories or caste puranas like these communities are like social archive for this dalit communities and nothing has been you know very little has been done like you know i know there is one is to you know uh, folklorist called subhachari he did this uh, very interesting book in telugu on kula puranalu or caste puranas so like that way what you see is that you no know, the archive is rich the only thing is that you know what we need to do is that you know the attention to details and attention to understanding these histories and bring them into mainstream perspective is very very important part of challenge we face in terms of engaging with the archives yes yes i think uh, your article um, dalit chronicles from the telugu country uh, yeah. is is uh, perhaps one of the um, phd i guess uh, brief concise versions of a phd if if i can say that that's uh, right. where where you know, it's it's a really uh, fascinating article where you look at um you know the relationship between um uh, dalits and the communist and the uh, uh, con- i mean not so much the congress uh, yeah. party uh, yeah. but the struggles and the the relationship the, and and how you use the colonial archives of the magistrates yeah. um so that was like if there anything you'd like to say about that uh, research process and the archive with that yeah in fact thank you for bringing that up uh, particularly that uh, old story like you no know, nanduri subab subara i forgot his name like exactly but the dalit communist uh, who was basically you know prosecuted even after independence and he was made to you know forced to you know say that he is not a communist by the state but thing is that you know the entire life struggle of this man particularly is both you know cultural engagement and communist organizing was based on the colonial archive in fact magisterial enquiries and uh, you know special investigation department of cid of madras presidency had huge files on this man because you know he was so popular among you know especially peasants and lower caste people that you know whenever he used to have any performances people used to go to his performances even in the middle of the night and state had lot of difficulty tracking this man so that's like you know that's what like you know one of the in fact when i got hold of this file uh, in fact in british library about this man and i remember coming back to chennai and again going to state archives in uh, chennai and it's unbelievable kind of information about this man particularly comes from this you know so called poor and deprived background but you know state had to maintain such a huge file to prosecute this man so that's what like it's a very interesting thing about this these sort of archival reading against the grain is that you know one can really write the histories of the struggles the courageous struggles of the oppressed people against the dominance and oppression 
is using the dominant archives like for example judicial you know documents and also police enquiries they provide a fascinating window into the you know way in which history has been transformed by these people yeah yeah and um i uh, maybe this is a good time to transition to the uh, project that you're working on currently uh, which is the memoir on uh, your mother and separately on the everydayness of caste experiences um so maybe if we can discuss uh, this uh, the approach that you took with these studies before getting into uh, the um uh, dr ambedkar specific uh, questions this project on my mother is uh, going on for some time i started writing for very long uh, i don't know whether you know it or not my, my mother uh, she was a jogini jogini sir you know women especially for coming from dalit backgrounds who are dedicated to the local gods and goddesses who do not have husbands they are supposed to be the um, it's uh, like in any other situation like exploitation of the women is part of the you no know, caste tradition but what happens is that you know the jogini women uh, comes in much more worse situation because they are at the receiving end both from the dominant caste and also from the dalit men themselves so in this context you know their experience of sexual exploitation and gender discrimination and the mistreatment by the mainstream society and dalit society adds further problem not only for themselves but the children who are born to them so that's one of the reasons why you know for very long in my life i was very scared to tell that my mother was a jogini to others and in fact uh, i started telling that uh, about my mother only after i think uh, i got my job as a you no know, professor so then you know one you know, that made me really look back like you know, is it the fault of my mother or is it the fault of the system then you know when i relooked re- at and because of my exposure to caste histories and the way in which things have transformed then i felt you know my mother was not guilt at all she was courageous woman who brought us up and you know made me you know i am today talking to you precisely because of her sacrifices and you uh, know another important thing is that you know, as a growing up boy and uh, because my mother was a single mother and did not have husband i was able to see very closely particularly the way she struggled especially to raise me as a child without father and the second thing is that you know her own challenges of you know uh, you know overcoming the both sexual you know and also social exploitation by you know men of different communities including dalits so this is what i felt you know i thought you know my mother's story is worth telling to the world that even if i don't tell the story of my mother their story will go away like 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 her millions of women particularly coming from dalit backgrounds and who basically struggle to raise their children but you know they end up having no histories of their struggles and the way in which they brought us to this world and made us what we are today yes yeah that that's a difficult process i'm yeah. sure even while writing it yeah so that's one of the reasons why i'm having lot of challenge in terms of you know narrating this story because at one level it's painful but it's also liberating it's painful to remember and memory is always painful right especially if it is a you know bad memory and which you know involves lot of violence and various forms of you know unwanted things so it's painful but also at one level you know telling that story it's like a therapeutic and also very liberative and it liberates myself and also my mother and my family Mm-hmm. yeah um yeah thank you for sharing that um to transition to um i think a more um general perhaps uh, lens of looking at things if we can look at how uh, you view uh, dr ambedkar's research methods in books and essays essays where he's taken a historical approach in understanding you know south asian political economy and uh, maybe we can look at one or two examples that you feel like uh, sh- shed light on on his approach yeah like you know ambedkar as i said in the beginning that you know he was trained in multiple disciplines and uh, though he was not a trained historian 
but because of his uh, you know involvement in multiple disciplines one of the important things you see that you know he has this very interesting knack for sources knack for reading the sources and also the way he tries to look at history and uh, uh, he, he combines his intuitiveness of understanding history with the uh, sources that's what very fascinating thing about him like you no know, you mentioned in the question about who are over shudras but also other than that you know if you look at his book uh, who are untouchables and where they come from and also the annihilation of caste in, in fact annihilation of caste though it is written as a speech for a, you know, to deliver but one of the important thing is that you know it is very significant historical source in terms of the way we understand caste today and particularly from the point of view of anti caste perspective and uh, if you really want to dismantle the intellectual roots of caste one of the ways to do is by reading annihilation of caste and that's why like uh, one of the reasons why ambedkar like for example emphasizes the idea of textual tradition particularly the brahmanical textual tradition as the basis for you know caste you no know, ideology and that's one of the reasons why you know he rereads and you know reinterprets and also critically engages with text like mahabharata ramayana puranic texts and also he bans manu dharma shastra because that provides the justification so in this context what we see is that you know ambedkar is a very historically rooted scholar and uh, particularly his whole idea of rooting himself in historical sources and also religious understanding is very critical for the idea of him weaving a liberation struggles so in this context you know he remains a very important uh, sadly what we see is that in south asian scholarship particularly till very recently historians Uh, not only historians even no one has taken him seriously as a worthy of any intellectual engagement but now with the anti caste you know scholarship and anti caste politics you know picking up particularly in the context of what is happening in 2014 afterwards modi's rise to power and also the rise of hindu hindu right one of the important thing is that you know, the only way one can produce the antidote to hindu fundamentalism is through you uh, know critical engagement with ambedkar's writings both politically and also in terms of rewriting the histories Mm-hmm. um yeah and and as as someone who's you know some of your uh, research work has straddled different uh, continents um and as somebody who's also interested in these interconnections with south asia and the rest of the world um i was curious about your perspective and dr ambedkar's understanding of the similarities uh, and differences between race and caste in fact in annihilation of caste one of the important arguments ambedkar brings out is that there is no connection between race and caste and in fact he refutes the idea of racial racial no interpretation of caste and he says that you no know, race and caste do not go together and racial interpretation of history doesn't uh, apply to the context of understanding of caste where you know what he sees that you know he tries to root the local histories of caste and its evolution in terms of socio cultural and historical phenomena but one of the important limit i think this is where i find the limitations of ambedkar in understanding the history he did not critically engage with the history of colonialism particularly he did not see the role of colonialism in remaking of the caste how basically brahmanism and colonialism together uh, they know solidify caste in india and the way in which they together it, it like you know colonial project of social ordering or bringing order to society it happens in alliance with brahmins or brahmanical pandits but that you know ambedkar did not see that the in fact the way in which the caste society gets remade, remade in the context of colonial society and how caste becomes a template for racial oppression across the world that's why you know you see that the word, very word caste comes from portuguese word it's not an indian word mm-hmm. yeah i think uh, perhaps this is uh, maybe linked to uh, jyoti rao phule uh, yes. who he was you know inspired by greatly and who also was uh, at different moments in time 
optimistic and extremely skeptical and even uh, antagonistic against the what the openings that the colonial state could offer um yeah that's true to add to that abhishek yes you thanks um, for bringing up uh, about uh, pule and that's what like you know the difference i think this is where pule is much more innovative mahatma pule especially because you know he was able to see that you know connection between brahmanism and colonialism how they worked in collaboration with each other and uh, that's where you know, in fact uh, that you know in understanding that pule is much more forward looking compared to ambedkar ambedkar's engagement with colonialism is that you know he knew the limitations of colonialism because you know it is always in support of the dominant caste and dominant ideal dominant communities of india but you know but he never saw them in terms of you know the role of colonialism in enriching the power of the dominant caste there is this misconceived notion that you know uh, among particularly dalit activists and scholars that you know colonialism emancipated dalits it is not true right colonialism like colonialism as a system colonialism as a you know power colonial empire was built for profit not for some you know great ideal you know social emancipatory agendas they did not have any agenda of emancipation of oppressed or you know they did not come to india to you know spread some message of you know social equality or you know all these things so colonialism is driven by the profit is not driven by the social transformation right right and this is maybe particularly strange also i know we are digressing slightly but mm-hmm. uh, the because he also stayed in, in the colonial powers um, and you know had correspondence also with like eb du bois um, yeah. and so so i think there's a lot of more research that that's possibly that for for uh, scholars to pick up on um, and yeah. tell us more about what's what's going on there yeah. um yeah so just transitioning uh, to the um uh, part about hindu uh, about brahmanical spirituality mm-hmm. um, one quote i found quite fascinating in uh, one of your articles is that uh, as ambedkar pointed out the roots of caste lie in the hindu brahmanical spirituality that produces caste practice as a mental frame and any theory that does not uproot that mental belief will never annihilate caste end quote so can we spend some time uh, discussing this and unpacking it the mental frames of the people for thousands of years are trained in a way that you know they have to accept you know their caste status or oppressed status as a fate rather than a thing which they can really transform and in this context what you see is that you know the way in which the religious ideology plays a very very important role in reproducing the way in which this caste society uninterruptedly continues despite you know intervention of islam christianity and you know all these religions come and go but the foundational structures of caste remain as it is precisely because you know the power of religious ideology and in this context what you see is that you know ambedkar sees that you know unla- that, that's one of the reasons why he sees buddhism as an alternative to hinduism precisely because you know it offers an alternative frame of mind and it offers an alternative way of thinking and uh, i think this is where you know like unless we have this you know ideological perspective and ideological world view which basically completely you know liberates one from the influence of hinduism one cannot really have a caste free society because you know the fundamental ethos and the principles of brahmanical hinduism relies on this belief that you know caste is the foundation on which society needs to be built that's why you know hinduism doesn't believe in equality it doesn't have a sense of human equality and it doesn't feel that you know like even in the eye of god human beings are not equal in hinduism are brahmanical hinduism that's why what we need is that you know we need to frame a different you know kind of ethic the ethic of equality which basically comes outside hinduism outside brahmanism right 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 
I'm glad that you brought out the role of uh, Buddhism. Um, and if we can maybe discuss the uh, appropriation of Ambedkar uh, by both the right and the left, it's it's increasingly being uh, talked about and m- being made visible. But as a historian, if there are any, uh, if, if you see any continuities uh, with this uh, uh, method, um, and we can maybe start by understanding what appropriation means and you know the significance of why we even need to identify it as, as something of a concern. the idea of appropriation like uh, what happens is that it's not just ambedkar even you know people like uh, gandhi gets appropriated right modi modi for example uses gano gandhi is a very important way to you know reach out to the world leaders in fact uh, the post independent india's nation states biggest diplomatic you know uh, ways in which they try to build this pr network outside the world is uh, gandhi right gandhi becomes a very important emblem of this you no know, going out to countries and tell that you know we are a country of peace and we love people and all those things but in reality what you see is that you know indian state was never peaceful and in fact it it waged wars against its own people for you know decades together against you know indigenous people and you know the violence against dalits and you know we also have series of you know every decade had you know riots against muslims and which again you know state played a active role in perpetuating these violences this is what i think state and also the ruling class is good at like you no know, it tries to use every avenues to you know uh, put forward its agenda of rule and in this context what happens is that you know till 1990s no one even talk, mainstream never even acknowledged that there is a figure called ambedkar but you know anti mandal context and the way in which dalit politics dalits became assertive particularly in the context of uh, kanshiram mayawati's bahujan samaj party and also even before that what we see that you know the dalit panthers in maharashtra like you no know, you see that you no know, whenever dalit uh, become a politically uh, force to reckon with mainstream could not uh, one thing is that it cannot ignore it anymore and uh, the, and in especially in the context of electoral politics of numbers and one of the important ways in which you do that you know ambedkar becomes a very important symbolic figure for dalits like that's that's a problem like you no know, the way in which instead of study reading ambedkar and understanding his ideology of liberation even dalit leadership one of the important thing is that you no know, they do the worship culture this worship culture what happens is that you know becomes a very important ploy alibi for the ruling elites like you know bjp for example like you no know, ambedkar stands against everything bjp and rss stands for like you know, nowhere you see that you know they have any alignment neither in terms of you know social philosophy in our politics there is nothing you know one can really see that you know, they have any sort of similarity but what happens is that you know the same hindu right because it it wants to use dalit old bank as a very important way to like you know in consolidation of the so called hindu identity in fact that's one of the dangers of this hindu right politics is that you know the way it is trying to bring this whole idea of hindu right you know hindu community and particularly pitting against the muslim and the christian communities and the way in which it is trying to demonize minority communities and try to breed you no know, full um, put together this whole idea of hindu community and in which one of the important thing is that again the old brahmanical idea of you know putting brahmanical you know philosophy and supremacy as a very important way to reorganize the society that's one of the reasons why it, this politics of appropriation particularly it is more dangerous for dalits than to the dominant caste because what happens is that you know for dominant uh, brahmanical ideology it survives that's what historically what 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 you see is that you know throughout human history like you know particularly from ancient to now despite challenges despite disruptions one of the important thing is that you know brahmanism has a very good knack to adjust itself to the changing times and that's what like you know the way it appropriates like you know, for example the whole idea of vegetarianism 
it comes from buddhism and jain tradition it's not an hindu tradition like uh, that, that's what like you no know, vaishnavite uh, no the no belief system of you know vegetarianism is an appropriation of buddhism and jainism and in fact not only that historically if you look at the major temples in southern india they were all former jain and buddhist temples so in this context what you see that you no know, like uh, the brahmanism has this very interesting uh, you know tendency to appropriate and that's one of the reasons why like you no know, it appropriation not only in spiritual appropriation even social appropriation the way in which historically it assimilated the you know particularly communities which are outside the purview of you know chaturvarna framework for example like uh, indigenous you know adivasi communities when they are in rule particularly the gondwana rulers for example in western india as central and western indian context what you see that they are all you know assimilated as what do you call the kshatriya caste and it also happens even in in the context of what do you call the post independent india like you know where the sudra communities who have become politically dominant are getting assimilated into the dominant caste framework like for example kammas in andhra pradesh reddies in andhra pradesh and for that matter you know various dominant shudra communities are now almost you know taken into the purview of this hindu brahmanical ideology mm-hmm. and is anything you'd like to say about the left perspective as well yeah left perspective that's what like you know one of the important things about uh, challenges about particularly mainstream left is that you know it is its failure to you know appreciate and reread ambedkar ambedkar not only has a critical social perspective in terms of looking understanding caste but also i think you know ambedkar also has a very interesting way of reinterpreting economic transformation in indian history i think in that context you know people like dd kosambi for example who comes from the marxist tradition and closely aligns to what ambedkar looked at interpreted the uh, transformations in indian history and that way what you see is that you know the way in which evolution of caste and also the way in which that is closely aligned to the appropriation of you know economic surplus from you know these producing communities is very critical in reading and reinterpreting the indian history i think that's where the left left needs to really engage critically particularly the marxian tradition but uh, to combine this you know anti caste perspective of ambedkar into you know anti capitalist and also you know larger liberation struggles um and you know throughout this conversation we are probably hinting at the uh, really extensive research that you have been doing um and you know one of your projects i guess uh, that would you know come across uh, that would that is a part of this uh, extensive history that you're doing is your goal of tracing the history of caste over a long period yes. um so if you can tell us more about this and share your progress so far any questions that you know are really uh, propelling you forward yes thank you uh, like one of the important things like you know, again reading ambedkar was very important inspiration for me and also you know because i am an historian and also who's trying to understand the social history of india and which again has closer resemblance both in terms of economic transformations and intellectual formations and for me like you no know, i am a historian engaged in modern indian history but you know for me like you no know, these modern indian history cannot be read in isolation from what happened in pre modern world and particularly when we want to look at the history of caste and social transformations in india i think you know like a large scholarship on both sociological anthropological and also to some extent historical research on modern india looks at history of caste with the coming of the europeans for example like you know post colonial in fact yesterday i was talking to I I just delivered a lecture yesterday exactly at this time at the University of Pennsylvania you know the entitled decolonizing caste one of the fundamental arguments I am making trying to make is that you know the template of caste which has been you know developed somewhere in you know Rigvedic period and afterwards Gupta time and other things 
what you see is that you know this template continues even into post independent india without any disruptions though we see what we see is that you know there are this whole idea that you know we have islamic rule has come to india and they ruled for you know almost 6700 years and after that british came and ruled for 300 years all these things but what you see is that you know under invisible frame on which all these political dynasties were able to thrive and succeed and extract the surplus from people was this idea that you know caste based society in fact one of the important argument i am trying to make in my book is that that when the early modern period like after 15th century when india indian subcontinent becomes the global market in which basically the indian economy almost supplying you know enormous cotton textiles and spices and other goods to the world markets and becoming very important attractions for europeans one of the important thing is that you know it is predicated on caste based free labor like you know what happens is that the majority of the lower caste people were not paid any sort of remuneration for the labor they are undertaking and in fact that's what the artisans like you know in cotton textile industry or even for that matter various other you know uh, artisanal communities were obligated by the caste to supply goods freely for the dominant caste and same thing happens in agriculture labor that majority of the dalits were not paid in any sort of remuneration for the labor they are delivering to the in cultivation and producing the crops so in this context what happens is that you know there is a massive discount in terms of the labor provided by these people for the dominant caste to play in the world markets and bring money you know make profits out of it so in this context what happens is that you know the colonial disruption what it does is that you know it basically makes it much more uh, what do you call visible for the world that you know this is these are the foundations and that's one of the reasons why i think uh, when europeans come to indian subcontinent particularly portuguese were very baffled with the we witnessing the you know social differences in terms of caste and other differences so one of the important you know aspect the europeans find is that you know the efficient seamlessness through which caste is operating especially the way it is facilitating the extra surplus extraction from the uh, land and also from artisanal communities and without much violence and also with the consent of the people that's where i think we, we talked about the idea of mental and domination or mental you know the way in which spiritual domination operates in legitimizing the caste so in this context what you see is that you know unlike in you know settler colonial societies like in north america you don't witness you know genocide in india by the europeans instead what they do is that you know they assimilate the dominant brahmanical groups into the colonial structures of power and that's one of the reasons why when colonialism and brahmanism combine together the caste oppression becomes manifolds and that's when you know british and uh, were able to extract surplus without much you know violence in india that's one of the reasons why the colonial senses and the way in which these various forms of knowledge production related to social operations happens precisely because this order is very very profitable for them because you know the without even any sort of violence and without their direct involvement on behalf of them the dominant caste are helping them to extract the surplus and also run the colonial society mm-hmm. and it's also like a more modern form of uh, capitalism yes. we will yeah. combining with as well that's right capitalism and that's one of the reasons why to add to this abhishek that uh, uh, what happens is that you no know, caste becomes a template for racism and that's one of the reasons why you know earlier we mentioned that you know uh, how the caste based you know oppressive structures will become an important you know emulative you know models for racialized societies like for example lynchings lynchings for you know sexual violations 
or even for that matter you know interracial sexual relationships and marriages the way in which lynchings happen in southern america it's modeled on caste society like in villages you know when people have you no know, uh, what do you call trespass the caste boundaries and have sexual relationship with a you know dominant like for example lower caste man having relationship with the dominant caste women leads to enormous violence and killing that's a mod- one of the ancient models of caste discipline which gets you know uh, emulated and implemented in racialized societies yeah um i think we covered a lot of ground and uh, i i think we'll we'll uh, like to end with a, a quick rapid fire round uh, where we have three questions and uh, nothing that's supposed to quiz you uh, but where you can you know keep your answers as uh, um you know powerful and as brief as possible um so are you ready for the first question that's right chap tell me yeah so what's one aspect of uh, dr ambedkar's writing or actions that you'd like to learn more about oh it's personal life hmm okay any particular part of it we only know ambedkar both as a engaged politician and also scholar who basically spent all his life you know doing political movements and organizing but we know little very little about his personal life uh, especially i think dhanunjay kirsa uh, biography uh, not much even that doesn't shed much light on his personal life and it would be interesting to know what kind of person he was and i know in fact that's something i really want to research on basically the personal relationships he had and the, the kind of person he was you know what like it's it's very important to know how you know uh, human he was as a human being because we all have emotions and how his emotions were and that is something i'm very curious about in life mm-hmm. because uh, something you're skeptical about in his work uh, skeptical about uh, his uh, old understanding of colonialism okay one recommendation to further and unify fragmented social movements uh recommendation is um, yeah to read ambedkar more yes okay okay uh, amazing thank you so much uh, dr chennaya jangam for joining us on research radio it was yeah i just want to f- make one concluding uh, yes, remark yes yes please do yeah um, the way in which like you know the one of the important uh, you no know, thing i want to make as a final uh, you know uh, round or concluding remarks is that the, the only way to disrupt dominant brahmanical narrative is to bring the politics of the oppressed as a counter narrative of inquiry and uh, dismantling structures of power that have been showed up by the classical tradition will require require more than fact checking it will requ- require writing an entirely new story about antiquity and about who we are today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um thank you so much thank you. Uh, for joining us chennai jangam and for those parting words as well thank you and a happy you know dalit history month and jai bhim to everyone and including you take care and stay safe yes jai bhim as well so what did you think of our conversation what's your experience been like accessing the archive do reach out to us via any of epw social media accounts i hope you subscribe to the podcast and join us in our journey to explore the multiple dimensions of dr ambedkar's thought and practice one week after another take care and i'll see you next week